Thank you for tuning in to the World Overcomers podcast. On behalf of our senior pastor, Andy Thompson, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates when we post new content every week. If you would like more information or want to make a contribution to World Overcomers or Pastor Andy, visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Once again, that is www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Enjoy the message. World Overcomers, come on, praise God for another Wednesday night experience. I'm hoping, praying, believing that you are participating, that you're not just watching the service mindlessly, but that you are actively engaged. I'm so happy to see you. My name is Pastor Manny Arango, and we are in week three. Come on, in the chat, if you have perfect attendance so far for this sermon series on breaking the stronghold of poverty and creating unprecedented wealth in your life. If you're here, uh, if you're in to week three with us, like you were here on week one, you were here on week two, and you are here today in this digital space for week three, just go ahead, give me a three, four, three. Just go ahead in the chat, just say three for three, three for three, or perfect attendance. Um, I love engaging with you guys uh, in the chat while I'm preaching. All right, buckle up. We're in for week three. Now, last week, I told you uh, that we're going to talk about stewarding the treasures of life, stewarding the treasures of life. And right out of the gate, I want to establish a basic fundamental truth. Now, this may be your first time hearing this. This may be a, well, of course, uh, Pastor Manny, duh. You know, of course I know this. Whether this is your first time hearing it or whether you've heard this your whole life, I want to establish this basic fundamental truth just so that we're all on the same playing field. And that truth is this. That life is a gift. Life is a gift. If you're taking notes uh, for this message, I want you to go ahead and write that down at the top of your notes. That life is a gift. Life is a gift. And the way that I treat a gift is based on the fact that it is, by nature, a gift. Okay? A gift. Uh, If I were working at a job, nine to five, uh, at the end of the week or at the end of the two weeks, they're not gifting me with a paycheck. My paycheck is not a gift. I earned it, okay? I deserved it. Uh, I worked for it. However, life is not a paycheck. Life is a gift, which means to go through life with an entitled mindset means that you do not understand that life is a gift. Every moment that God gives you is a gift. Every single day that you wake up, it's Christmas because life is a gift, which means I have to operate my life not as if it's a paycheck that I earn, but as if it's a Christmas gift that I did not deserve, that I did not work for, that I did not earn, that is not a response based on my behavior, but that is a free gift from God. Life is a gift. And that means everything that comes into my life, 
if life is a gift, then that means my preaching gift is a gift from God. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. It's funny, a couple years ago, uh, I got my wife a really expensive pair of Balenciaga sneakers, okay? I went all out. It was a birthday, and uh, I love fancy stuff. I like luxury stuff, and so I made sure I got my wife a really, really, really expensive pair of Balenciaga sneakers, okay? And I remember asking her, I said, yo, when are you going to wear your new Balenciagas and she said oh I don't know I've got to get the right outfit and I don't know when I'm gonna wear these and so you know I, I didn't put any pressure I just thought okay cool you know and uh, actually it wasn't her birthday I don't know if I said it was her birthday it was Christmas actually it was a Christmas gift so right around the end of December I got her these really dope really really cool pair of sneakers spent a, spent a, a, a pretty coin on these sneakers okay and so all of January goes by, she hasn't worn the sneakers yet. And then all of February's gone by, and I'm thinking to myself, well, surely, you know, maybe on Valentine's Day, if I take her to brunch or something, she'll wear these really cool new sneakers, you know? And then, like, her birthday rolled around in March, and, you know, I'm getting ready to buy her more stuff, but she hasn't worn the sneakers that I got her in December. And so... I, I, I pull my wife to the side, we're talking, I'm like, now babe, you know, I keep kind of asking when you're going to wear these sneakers, and you keep kind of saying, you know, you don't know when you're going to wear the sneakers, and you know, I don't know, and you don't have any plans to wear these sneakers that I sacrificed to give you. I said, babe, do you know why men buy their wives expensive things? And she's like, I don't know, because you appreciate me? I said, yeah, I do appreciate you, but the reason that men buy their wives expensive things is because it's a reflection on the giver, not the recipient. Gifts say more about the person giving the gift than the gift reveals anything about the recipient of the gift. This is why God's grace towards us doesn't say anything about how special I am as a person, but it says a lot about the grace and the mercy and the love of God. The preaching gift that I have, how dare I say, no, I don't feel like preaching today, or I'm not in the mood to do that. It's not mine. This gift does not belong to me. It is a gift, and the gift reflects the giver of the gift. If you have the gift, uh, if you have a spiritual gift, if you have a gift of prophecy, if you have a gift of administration, if you have the gift to teach or to lead, that gift, although you get to use it, don't get it twisted. It doesn't belong to you. See, stewardship, the word stewardship, is this overarching biblical idea that everything that is in my life is used by me but not owned by me. That actually I own nothing, but I have access to everything that God has graciously gifted me with. I am operating with the gift of life. And I said, babe, uh, you know, hey, I want you to wear those sneakers because guess what's going to happen? You're going to wear those sneakers. You're going to go out places, and people are going to say, oh, my gosh, those are dope. I'm like, when did you get those? And you're going to have to say the words, my husband got these for me for Christmas. See, I gave a gift because the gift giver always wants praise because gifts reflect the character and the generosity 
of the person who gave the gift. Can I tell you something? The reason that we're going to talk about stewardship tonight is because God is the one that has given you gifts. And you are not the one who can dictate what you do with your gift. If you have the gift to sing, it's really not up to you to decide, I'm just going to go ahead and bury this gift in the dirt, and I'm not going to do anything with it, and then complain that wealth has not come into your life. The thing that God has given you as a gift is actually the number one source of wealth generation in your life. And most of us, the challenge that we have is not about whether or not we are gifted, but whether or not we can manage our gifts and steward our gifts so that our gifts can bring us wealth. For a whole lot of people, they are spinning their wheels. They are using a lot of energy. They are using a lot of emotional, they are expending a lot of emotional strength and power trying to be good at something that's actually not their gift. And so, I want to hammer this home. Life is a gift, and the gift of life is like the gift that keeps on giving. The gift of life is like the gift that keeps on giving. Inside of the gift of life, it's like one of these Russian dolls, right? The gift of life is like this Russian doll, and every single time you pop open one layer, you begin to see that there's another gift inside of that, and another gift inside of that, and another gift inside of that. And so my job as a human is to steward not just the gift of life, but the gifts of life. Not just the singular gift that is life, but the gifts of life. This Actually, this concept that I'm sharing with you right now, uh, this is the reason that suicide is not just okay with God. Because God says, whoa, 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 whoa. In the same way that murder is wrong because you're taking a life that belongs to someone else, when you commit suicide, you're also taking a life that belongs to someone else. If I were to commit suicide, I'd be taking my life, not just from me, I wouldn't be taking my life from me because I don't own my life. I'd be taking my life from Tia, I'd be taking my life from Theophilus, and I'd be taking my life from God. Like at the end of the day, my life belongs to other people. Life is a gift. This is not like a paycheck. See, I can do with, well, I'm going to teach it. You can't do with your paycheck what you want. But for the sake of the analogy, all right, track with me. When I go to Burger King and I work 40 hours and they give me a paycheck, I can do what I want with that because those are my wages. Well, see, life doesn't give me wages. Life gives me a gift. Every 24-hour period is a gift. Every time I get to laugh, that's a gift. Every time my son smiles at me, that's a gift. Every single time I get to grab this microphone and preach, that's a gift. The gifts of life. Now, once we talk about stewardship, we're going to understand that even the wealth that comes into your life, even if you did work for it, you can't just do with it what you want because it is God that gave you the gift to be able to have the genius, the intellect, the know-how on how to have the job in the first place. Our life is a gift, which means I live my life with an open hand. So, 
Let's get into stewardship. How do I steward the gift of life and the gifts of life? How do I steward the gift of life and the gifts of life? Obviously, the first thing I have to realize is that life is a gift, which means this, life doesn't owe you anything. This chip on your shoulder, I deserve love. Oh, people should love me or I deserve that job. You don't deserve anything. The only thing you deserve is death, hell, and a grave because you are a sinner and that is what sinners deserve. All of us have sinned against God and there is nothing that I deserve. I do not walk through life with some entitled attitude like, oh, I deserve this, or I deserve a wife, or I deserve a kid, or I deserve a husband, or I deserve love, or I deserve parents who were good to me. You don't deserve anything. Life is a gift. And every single time you slip into entitled thinking, you have to start to correct yourself and go, whoa, no, no, no. Life doesn't owe me anything. Uh, life is not a job. I'm not working in earning life. No, that's not how this works. Life is a gift. And like Christmas morning, I have to unwrap this gift, and then this gift means actually that the one who is entitled is the gift giver, not the recipient. A gift makes the giver entitled for, a, for me to now live a life where I reflect praise back to the one who gifted me with everything that I have. This is a massive worldview shift. This is a paradigm shift. And for most of us, we are living beneath the, the, we are living beneath the standard that God has for us, not because we're not gifted, but because we don't see life as a gift and we don't steward the life that we have. All right, let's talk about stewardship. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50, and you're going to go to verse 9. Psalm chapter 50, and you're going to go to verse 9. Psalm chapter 50, verse 9, I'm going to read all the way to verse, verse 14. Verse 14, it says this. Psalm chapter 50, verse 9, uh, it says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. So God is saying right out the bat, I don't need anything you have, okay? I do not need bulls and I do not need goats. I am the self-sufficient God. I am the God who uh, I, I needed light, okay, for creation to start. So I said, let there be light. And guess what? The sun, the moon, and the stars are not created until day four of creation. So how is there light on day one, two, and three? It's because the God who said, let there be light, became light so that he could see what he was doing to create the world. This is why Jesus in the book of John is able to say, I am the light of the world. See, when God needs light, he just becomes light to light up what it is that he needs to see because he is self-sufficient. So God starts right out the bat. I don't need anything from you, okay? I did not make you because there's something lacking in me. I didn't make you because I, I didn't create humans because I was bored. I didn't create humans uh, because I was lonely. Nope. I created humans as a gift to them. And now it's on them to reflect glory back to me as their rightful response as recipients of this gift called life, okay? I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. 
For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. Verse 11, I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Verse 13, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Question mark. Now, all the way up to verse 13, God is consistently saying one thing. I don't need y'all. And bulls and goats was this culture's form of wealth, right? The thing that you had to bring to the temple as a sacrifice is a bull or a goat. This is ancient Near Eastern culture, okay? They're not bringing currency to the temple to, to give in an offering. No, they're bringing bulls, they're bringing goats, because that is the symbol of their wealth. And God is very clear. I don't need none of this. I'm a self-sufficient God. Now, you would think that the next verse is going to say, therefore, don't even bother bringing it. Do not even bother bringing me your bulls or goats. But verse 14 actually throws us a curveball because God says, I don't need it. 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 But what does he say in verse 14? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. What? I thought he just said he didn't need bulls and goats. How does he say he doesn't need it, he doesn't need it, he doesn't need it, and then command me to give it? Because he says, the fact that I don't need it does not change whether or not I'm telling you to sacrifice it. Which means, if God doesn't need it, but God still requires it, then that must mean that God requires it because we need it. Friends, can I be honest with you tonight? The reason that God says to tithe 10%, the reason that God says to be generous with all of your money, the reason that God says, I want you to come into my house on a week-to-week -week basis, and I want you to pull out cash, and I want you to sow and give and be generous is not because he needs your currency. He does not count dollars. He does not need dollars. He does not need any human currency. God doesn't buy things. God is very, very clear. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your stuff. Give me your stuff. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your stuff. Give me your stuff. I don't need your money. I don't need your money. I don't need your money. Give me your money. I don't need your bulls. I don't need your bulls. I don't need your bulls. Give me your bulls. I don't need your goats. I don't need your goats. I don't need your goats. Give me your goats. I don't need it. But here's the reality. I know you need it. You are the one that needs to learn how to steward the gift that is life. And you will never learn how to steward the gift that is life if you keep everything to yourself. You will never learn how to steward the gift of life and live in gratitude if I let you keep everything that you have. This law of creation, it is not for God. And God makes it abundantly clear. He said, I never want you to get into a relationship with me thinking that I owe you something just because you've given to me. No, let me make this abundantly clear. I don't need your stuff, 
but you need to give me your stuff because idolatry and pride will trick you into believing that this stuff belongs to you. And the reality is this, this stuff does not belong to you. I'm letting you loan everything you have. You are borrowing breath from me. You are borrowing time from me. You are borrowing this body from me. You don't own anything, you humble little human being. You don't own anything, but you should be stewarding everything. Stewardship. Stewardship is this idea that my life doesn't belong to me, my gifts don't belong to me, my talents don't belong to me, my money doesn't belong to me, my time doesn't belong to me, nothing that I have belongs to me. Now this is very difficult because we live in a country and in a democratic system that is built on rights. Rights, what you have rights for, the right to bear arms, right? The right to vote. We have built this American culture on rights. And essentially, God is like, actually, you don't even own yourself. You don't belong to yourself. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your gifts don't belong to you. How can you claim rights? Actually, I have the right to take everything from you. But that would violate my character because I'm generous. And so I'm actually giving you the opportunity to live an open-handed life where you steward everything. I own nothing, but I steward everything. I own nothing, and I steward everything. And the reason I'm not, I'm purposely not being loud or inflammatory, because I don't want to preach this to you. I want to teach this to you. This is a guiding principle of my life that has kept me in a fruitful relationship with the Lord for decades and decades and decades. Because I realize my life is not mine. So I wake up and I say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it. L listen to what God says in Psalm chapter 50. He's like, to let you know that I don't need your stuff, I'm going to tell you I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. That's verse 9. But then get to the next part. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. But hey, that bull that you are about to give me, you're not giving it to me. Get this, you're returning it to me. That bull, that goat that you are giving to me, you're not giving it to me. You're returning it to me. Can I tell you something, church? Can I tell you something? Brothers, sisters, friends, guess what? When you give in an offering, you're actually not giving anything to the Lord. You're returning things to him. When I stand on the stage and I use the gift that God gave me to teach and preach his word, I'm not giving him anything. I'm returning to him the gift of life, the gift of preaching, and the gift of breath that he's allowing me to borrow. I'm returning it to him because it actually belongs to him, not me. 
Now Jesus, your God, says this. So I don't need it. I already own everything. You're not giving me anything. You're actually returning it to me. You don't own anything. You're, 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 lent, you're loaning everything. You lease everything. Okay? Everything belongs to me. And the reason that I'm going to implement a system where you don't keep everything is because I know that's not good for you. So what's the first rule of stewardship that you learn? First rule of stewardship is that there are three kinds of giving. I want everybody to write this down, that there are three kinds of giving. When it comes to my finances, there are three kinds of biblical giving. Three kinds of biblical giving. And if you are not stewarding your money well, then I'm here to tell you, you will never be wealthy. If you don't get this concept of stewardship, you will have an entitled attitude, you will act like the world owes you stuff. You have to understand nobody owes you anything. No one owes you a shot. No one owes you an opportunity. The universe doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. Every single day you wake up, the breath that you have is borrowed breath. You're on borrowed time, and God has graciously given you the gift called life. Now, let's get into three kinds of giving. Three kinds of giving. Number one, the Bible, when it talks about finances, when it talks about money, currency, dollar-dollar bills, has three kinds of giving that are found all throughout the Bible. The first kind of giving is this. These are cumulative steps, each one more difficult than the last, okay? Each one more difficult than the prior step. Here's the first level of giving. It's called spontaneous giving. I hear of a need. Somebody, I, I, I'm on uh, social media, and somebody's going on a missions trip, and I hear about a need, or I'm in church, and I hear a message that's really impactful, or I'm on my job, and they're raising money for my coworker's kid who's got cancer, and they're trying to afford chemo, or, man, somebody dies unexpectedly, they didn't have life insurance, and now there's a GoFundMe so that the family can mourn in a way that is decent, and they're raising money for those funds. Ah, I hear of a spontaneous need, and I spontaneously decide to give. That is the first level of giving. This level of giving doesn't even make you a Christian. Uh-oh, stepping on toes. Non-Christians give spontaneously. So this level of giving, we're not even at faith-filled, following Jesus, I'm a disciple. That's not, we're not even there yet. Being able to spontaneously give just means you are a compassionate, normal human being. Even non-Christians can give spontaneously when they hear about a need. So let's talk about the next level of giving. The next level of giving is not spontaneous. The next level of giving is systematic. This is what I would call percentage giving. This, tithing falls into this second category. Tithing falls into the category of systematic giving. Now, that doesn't mean that I stop giving spontaneously. Nope, I continue to give spontaneously and I then add systematic giving to spontaneous giving, okay? This is 
cumulative. Once I get to the second level, that means I'm giving systematically and spontaneously. Uh, now, tithing is a form of systematic giving. That I'm going to give 10%. Now, why is it so important that God in his Bible teaches freed slaves how to tithe 10%. Let's think about this. When they were in Egypt, they didn't have any money. When they were in Egypt, they had no wealth. When they were in Egypt, Pharaoh provided their food. When they were in Egypt, Pharaoh provided their homes. When they were in Egypt, Pharaoh provided their needs. Now God rescues them out of slavery, and the first thing that God implements is a system called tithing. And so they now have to give 10% of all they have. Why is this the perfect lesson for slaves? It's the perfect lesson for slaves because there were no budgeting courses in Egypt. They didn't know how to budget anything because they were ignorant, they were enslaved, they were oppressed. The reason that God implements a system so that they can learn how to manage their resources is because if you give someone who's never had to manage anything, everything, they will fumble the ball and start acting like the everything is now theirs, and so God has to put a system in place. Now this system is genius, because the only way to know how to give God 10% is to have counted 100%. And you know how many people I know that tithing is the first time that they learned how to budget in their life? Well, actually, I'm one of those people. I grew up in a home. My mom received a disability check. My mom was on government assistance. My dad squandered most of his money on drugs and, and frivolous living. I did not grow up in a home where I watched my parents have budget meetings. I did not grow up in a home where I watched my parents steward resources. My mom was very poor and my dad wasn't budgeting out a, a cocaine allowance. Absolutely not. My dad just spent money however he wanted to spend money. And so Pastor Joel Thompson, who actually is the CFO at this church, I've known Pastor Joel since I was 11 or 12 years old. And right before I went off to college, Joey, I call him Joey, Pastor Joel, took me into his office and taught me how to budget. And the first thing he taught me was give God 10%. Then he taught me you save 10%. And then invest 10%. And you live on 70% of everything that you bring in. You know what it meant for the son of a crack addict and the son of a mom who was pregnant as a teenager and, and, and was on disability and government assistance? Like, to learn how to look at my whole paycheck and count it. The reason that percentage giving blesses people more than it does anything for God, first of all, God owns everything, but really it's because wealthy people know the percentage that they give to everything, not just the church. I'll say that one more time. I need you to get that. Wealthy people know the percentage that they allocate for every area of their life. So I'm not just telling you to give God 10%, I'm telling you to steward 100%. You should know, uh, 
our living expenses. That means our rent or our mortgage. Man, that shouldn't exceed 20% of what we bring in. I'll never know whether I'm living above my means or beneath my means unless I have a percentage lifestyle. I'm not just talking about percentage giving, I'm actually talking about percentage living. Not percentage giving, but percentage living. That I've adopted a percentage lifestyle. That I will not exceed a certain percentage of what I'm willing to spend on vehicles based on the overall percentage of what my family brings in in a year. I'm not going to over, this is for all the single people out there, especially the guys, I'm not going to spend more than 5% of my annual gross income on an engagement ring or on a wedding. So I'm not gonna overspend because I know how to live a percentage life because systematic giving is supposed to unlock for me systematic living. Systematic giving is supposed to teach me systematic living. Percentage giving is supposed to teach me percentage living. And this is only at the second level of giving. We're not even at the third level of giving yet. And already you can see how in order for me to give God 10, I've got to know what the 100 looks like. And I'm going to make a bold statement. It does not honor God for you to give him 10% and then waste 90. It does not honor God or help you build wealth for you to give God 10, but then waste 90% of your money. This is for every millennial right now. That means to grocery shop and eat out is absolutely ridiculous. It means that you are wasteful. And being wasteful is not stewardship. Wastefulness is the antithesis of stewardship. Stewardship says, I have budgeted my money. Now, in me and my wife's relationship, I am really, really good at making the money. Man, I'm a hard worker. I'm very gifted. I'm very talented. I, I have a very sales-oriented uh, approach to life. I'm naturally entrepreneurial. So I've, I've started multiple businesses. I'm actively engaged in ministry. I make all of the money, okay? That's my gift. But typically people who are great at making all the money are not always that great at stewarding all the money or managing all the money. And so my wife's strength is money management. When me and my wife first got married, she made less money than me, but had more money than me. She made less, but had more because she saved money. She's tight with money. It hurts her to spend money. So it would be foolish of me to put myself in charge of managing something when that is not my strength. Fellas, guess what? If you have a wife and your wife is good at managing resources, then she should be in charge. People make fun of me a lot because my wife gives me an allowance. 
I can't believe you're a grown man. You make all the money. Your wife is a stay-at-home mom. You make all the money, and you let her give you an allowance? And I'm like, absolutely, because my ego is not going to kill me. That would be ridiculous. A good leader knows how to staff their weaknesses. Same thing with the CFO for Manny Arango Ministries. I do not manage the money for Manny Arango Ministries. I have hired someone to manage all the money for Manny Arango Ministries. That person makes sure we're tax compliant. That person makes sure that there's money in the bank. That person makes sure that I don't overspend. So they put a certain amount of money every single month on my business debit card and I have to submit to them because a good leader knows that the, that the power of leadership is in submission. The Roman centurion says, I am a man not just that has authority, but I'm also under authority. Your authority will always be limited by your inability to submit yourself to authority. You want people to be under you, then you better have somebody that's over you. And I've placed the CFO for Manny Arango Ministries and my wife as people that are over me that I am in submission to. Now, yes, I could fire our CFO, sure. I could play the authority card and say, I ain't listening to you, I'ma do what I want because I make all the money. But that would make me dumb, that would make me foolish, that would make me stupid, that would make me arrogant, that would make me prideful, that would make me egotistical. That would be me self-sabotaging my own ability to build wealth during my lifetime. So, to all the men out there, you have to know, maybe you're a guy, you're a husband, and you're better at managing. And maybe your wife is better at making the money. Nothing wrong with that. If your wife makes more money than you, then you know what you should be good at? Managing it. But the worst is if you got two people who are good at making money and nobody is good at managing it. Can I talk to you really quick? If both of you are making money and you don't sit down every single month to see what came in, what went out. What came in, what went out. I would suggest this. It's the wisest counsel that's worked for me and my wife. We have a joint banking account. Woo! A joint checking account. <laughs> because if you are married, there is no her money and his money and my money and your money. It's just y'all's money. You're married, you're one. Okay, and the fastest area for two people to become one is not just sexually, but financially. Okay, if you're gonna join your bodies together and sex is the, is the consummation of marriage, guess what? Putting your money together is also a consummation of marriage. You, you, are, you are living in dysfunction if you got separate money and separate bank. No, my wife's school debt, that's my school debt. Did, did I sign them loans? Absolutely not. I did not sign those school loans, but I signed up to be married to the person who did sign those school loans, and the Bible says that marriage is a mystery how two people could become one. So there is no such thing as Tia's school debt. There's no such thing as Tia's money and Manny's money. That's absolutely ridiculous. That is childish. That is dysfunctional. And maybe that's the kind of home you grew up in. I'm telling you right now, you have the opportunity to change. 
You cannot have a joint checking account without having a monthly budget meeting. So what happens in the Arango household is my wife, we're old fashioned, we're old school, she prints out the bank statements, okay? So we have a joint checking account and all the, the mortgage comes out of that account, all the recurring bills come out of that account, right? All the utilities come out of that account, all that stuff comes out of that account. And every month we sit down and we figure out, and then I have a debit card for a sub account and she has a debit card for a sub account. And every month, money from the joint account goes into my uh, account, that's my allowance, and one goes into her account, that's her allowance. Okay, so if I wanna pay for date night, I've got a card just designated for date night. And gas, and stuff that I may need, but if I'm gonna buy some sneakers, guess who I talk to before I buy stuff? That's right. Tia Arango has to sign off on me buying stuff because we are one. I remember when we first got married, my mom, my mother, my biological mother would hit me up, say, can you just give me some money? You know, I need money for this, or I need money for that. And I would let my mother know, hey, you and my dad didn't do this, but I'm not gonna choose to be dysfunctional like what was modeled before me. I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna be functional, I'm gonna be healthy. You can't just hit me up for money. That's not how it's gonna work. If you want money from the Arangos, then you're gonna to have to hit the both of us up. You can, and actually, you can just bypass me because I'm not in charge of our finances. The best thing for you to do is just ask Tia. She's the one that runs the money. She's over the money and my mom didn't like that, and she has to deal with that. That's not my business. My business is to put boundaries in place like a mature adult. Other, how other people want to respond to healthy boundaries is really not any of my business. Not my business at all, but that's your mama. Yeah, and you know what? We have enough black men who have dysfunctional relationships with a mama in our society. We already got that. We don't really need any more of that. I was raised by a mom, and because she was a single mom and a teenage mom, and my dad was on drugs, I grew up in a certain kind of dysfunction, which means I overbonded with my mom, which made it very, very hard for me to find a spouse. And I can't tell you how many black men I know who were raised by single moms who have overbonded with their mom, and they have become a surrogate spouse to their mother. And that is dysfunctional. You have a covenant with your wife. You do not have a covenant with your mother. And at some point, you're gonna have to grow up, stop being a boy, be a man, put boundaries in place with your mama, cause your mama will ruin your marriage. Your mama will ruin your ability to love a woman called your wife. But she gave birth to me. Great, I didn't ask to be born. So I don't owe you anything. Right back to the original statement. Everything in life is to be stewarded. We live with an open hand. I don't owe you something just because you gave birth to me. That's not how it works. You chose to have me. You chose to have a child. You chose to be a parent. My son is not gonna owe me just because I put him through college. I, that's, that's my, that's, 
I do that because I'm a good parent. So there's a joint checking account. Then there's a sub account for me and for Tia. So that she got a debit card, I got a debit card. I don't want swiping to impact that main joint account. Now, for the Arangos, you can take this or leave it. For the Arangos, that joint account, that joint account, we made a decision as a family that that joint account will never have less than $10,000 in it, okay? That's a decision that we made. You and your spouse need to ask the question, what is the minimum balance that we are going to keep in our joint checking account? Joint checking account. So every single month, direct deposits come in, salary comes in, payroll comes in, however you need to set it up, that stuff comes in. And if you're self-employed, I have self-employed income, all right? And you want to start paying yourself as fast as possible because in order to buy a home, you're going to have to show at least two years of pay stubs, of you paying yourself a salary. So just because you're self-employed don't mean you can just dip in to the business's money to pay for stuff that's personal. Number one, Uncle Sam's going to have a problem with that. Number two, it's going to be hard for you to approve for a loan to buy property, and you want to buy property because ownership is the key to building wealth. Me and T have made a decision. Yep, it doesn't really matter if we've come down to the end of the month and we're waiting for my business to pay me and we're waiting for some, of, some contracts to come through that we know are going to pay me or some uh, uh, affiliate marketing that I've done on social media or some influencing money because I, I also I get money in all different kinds of streams. If we're waiting for money to come in, hey, that account is just never, ever, 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 ever gonna go beneath $10,000. It's just discipline. Doesn't matter what we wanna buy, doesn't matter what we think we need, that joint checking account is not gonna go beneath $10,000. Then every single month, hey, Manny's allowance is $1,000 a month. Hey, the money that goes into Tia's account is $2,000 every month. All right, cool. She gets an allowance, I get an allowance, but Tia's the one that sets the numbers because she prints out the bank statements, goes through with a highlighter, and she says, hey, you overspent in this category. Hey, we've allotted 5% of our monthly income to gas. You went over in gas, that means it's gonna dip into your coffee money, Manny, and eating out, and coffee and entertainment is X percentage. So the reason I believe in percentage giving is because God doesn't need it, but you need it. If you've grown up in any kind of dysfunction, you need to systematize your life by systematizing your money. And if you are single, you should be doing this by yourself. You should be stewarding your money well. You should be wise with your money. When me and Tia met, um, I had overdraft notices. And one day she went to my mom's house. She went to where I used to live because I hadn't changed my address in, in, in my bank's online banking portal. And my, my mom handed her a bunch of my mail, like, y'all about to get married? Here's his mail. And in that stack of mail was overdraft notices. Tia opened up all them overdraft notices and called me up and was like, this is immature. This is absolutely ridiculous. Hey, when we get married, you will not overdraft your account. 
That is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't get an attitude. I didn't get arrogant. I said, you are absolutely right. And the man that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And this is exactly why I need you to help me. You are going to manage these finances, and you're right. We are not going to overdraft the account anymore because I'm going to listen to you. What's the third level of giving? All right. If you're getting anything out of this, please let me know in the comments. If you're getting anything out of this, let me know in the comments. The first level of giving is spontaneous. The second level of giving is systematic. The third level of giving is sacrificial. Sacrificial. This is where every Christian should be. Sacrificial includes systematic and it includes spontaneous because these levels of giving are uh, cumulative, okay, cumulative. The third level of giving The third level of giving is sacrificial giving. It means, ouch, that hurts to give. That hurts to give. For the Orangos, we've decided, man, we're going to give $10,000 towards Victory Park. That's a sacrifice. That's, that's in addition to spontaneous giving, because right now, Manny Orango Ministries supports two overseas missionaries. That's just spontaneous giving. That includes systematic giving. We tithe off of everything that comes into our family, into our home. And us giving $10,000 to Victory Park, that's sacrifice. That's ouch. Ooh, we're going to have to cut back on things in our life that we like to do. We may have to go on one less vacation so that we can actually fulfill our pledge to the Lord. Because we are giving $10,000 to Victory Park, and that is sacrificial. Let me say this. If Jesus had tithed his blood, we'd all be going straight to hell. If Jesus had tithed his blood, we'd all still be going straight to hell. So tithing, number, level two, can't be the end goal of the believer. Because Jesus did not just live a systematic life. Jesus didn't rip out his vein like, oh, that's 10%. Okay, that's all y'all get. No, that's not what happened. He emptied himself and sacrificed himself on the cross. Therefore, the believer, the responsibility of the believer is to model our life after Jesus. And if Jesus gives spontaneously, systematically, and ultimately sacrificially, then the believer has to also give sacrificially. I give my life because my life is not my own. So it is fine for me to sacrifice because actually, sacrifice is the ultimate proof that I am stewarding, not hoarding, and keeping my life to myself. I am not under the lie of the enemy or the delusion that my life belongs to me. My life does not belong to me. My life belongs to God. My life belongs to Tia. My life belongs to Theo. My life belongs to the, my employees at Manny Arango Ministries. My life belongs to people that I minister to. My life belongs to others. My life belongs to God. And so that has to be reflected in my finances. For anyone that would say, oh, well, you know, tithing is Old Testament. And, and, and I would say, you know what? There's some validity to that. There's some validity to that, but that doesn't mean that we do away with it. No, that means we surpass it. Jesus says, until your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Okay? And how do we exceed? We don't do away with. No, we always give spontaneously. We also give systematically. 
But systematic giving isn't the goal. Sacrificial giving is actually the goal. And we don't stop giving systematically when we start giving sacrificially. These are cumulative. One never stops in order to do the other. Okay, three weeks down. I, 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 next week, I really want to dive in um, to entrepreneurism, okay? We're really going to cover entrepreneurial living, entrepreneurial mindsets, how to think and act like an entrepreneur because you are not going to be wealthy just by being an employee. There's something that God has put on the inside of you that you need to bring to market, that you need a product, that you need to produce. There's a product, there's a dream that's inside of you. And next week we're really going to get into entrepreneurism and what that means because I believe that the patriarchs were entrepreneurs. I think that Peter was an entrepreneur. I think that there are so many great men and women of God uh, that are currently entrepreneurs, and business is not antithetical to the church or to being a Christian. God wants you to be a successful entrepreneur, and we're going to talk about that next week. Hey, let's give. Let's give. I want you to give. Uh, I want you to make a decision. Maybe you are giving spontaneously. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, Pastor Manny's really blessing me. This is really helping me. I wasn't planning on giving. I'm going to give spontaneously. Awesome. There should be a link right there for you to give. Maybe you've never given systematically. Can I challenge you? You need to sit down with your budget. If you're married, you and your spouse need to do this. If you're single, you need to do this by yourself. Get some highlighters. Get some categories. There are budgeting websites you can use. There's apps you can use. Get it together. Come on, let's go. We don't want you to be wasteful. And I want you to start thinking, all right, I am going to begin this journey towards systematizing not just my gift to the church, but systematizing my life. If you know what you should be tithing right now and you're not a tither, can you make a decision? I'm just going to start tithing. I'm going to give God 10%. And I'm not just going to give God 10% and then keep wasting 90. I'm going to give God 10% and then I'm going to be a good steward over the rest. And maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor Manny, I, I, I give spontaneously a lot. And I give systematically. But maybe that doesn't challenge you anymore. Maybe you haven't given in faith in a long time. Can I tell you, the next level for you is sacrificial giving. The kind of giving that actually looks the most like Jesus. And what would sacrificial giving look like for you today? For me and my wife right now, that looks like the pledge that we've made to Victory Park. We're giving $10,000 to the building fund. That's sacrificial for us. We have to really rearrange some finances and think through stuff. And all right, that takes some creativity. Tithing is not difficult for me. Spontaneous giving is not difficult for me. But sacrificial giving should always be difficult. If you're watching tonight and you are a good spontaneous giver, you're a decent systematic giver, but you've never really given sacrificially, a number that scares you, you've committed to giving a number that really makes you nervous, can I push you into sacrificial giving tonight? Whether you're giving uh, spontaneously, systematically, or systematically, uh, systematically or sacrificially, there's instructions on the screen for you to give. I want to pray over your gift. God, I thank you right now for every gift, for every giver. I thank you for every person watching this, whether live right now or, pre, or, or uh, a replay later or watching this on the YouTube channel months or years after uh, this sermon was, was originally aired. 
God, I ask that you would bless their basket and bless their store. God, I ask that you would bless them in every way. Make them wealthy so that they can be generous on every occasion. God, I thank you right now for your anointing on their life. God, I ask that it would even uh, reach into their finances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, World Overcomers, if this is your church, then we'll see you on Sunday live and in person. If you're watching from somewhere other than Durham, North Carolina, we love you. And I'll see you next week for the last week of this sermon series on breaking the strongholds of poverty and creating unprecedented wealth in your life. I love you. I'll see you soon. Peace. Hopefully you were blessed and encouraged by this message. Visit www.worldovercomers.church/podcast for more information on WOCC and events that are coming up. Maybe we are coming to your area soon. God bless.